all aboard. Step right up to the platform as we embark on another excursion of the Chris Fabry Live train. Put your baggage right there by the locomotive, would you? Wow, look at all that baggage. You sure have a lot you're carrying around, friend. Which leads me to ask, do you really need to be carrying all that around? How's that baggage from your past affecting you today? That's my question for Ike, our guest. He had a bunch of baggage himself. In fact, the stuff he was carrying from his childhood was affecting his relationships decades later. So he decided he's going to do something about it, going to do a little hard work, look deeply at his own life, ask some good questions, open the luggage of his childhood and deal with it. And an interesting thing happened. The difficulties of the past, the bad baggage he was carrying was redeemed, meaning the past didn't change, the negative things that happened to him, things that were done to him, none of that changed, he changed. And God showed him how his difficult childhood had prepared him for healthy relationships. Ike Miller is going to join us straight ahead on Chris Fabry Live. Somebody's going to see themselves in this conversation. It might be you. We're praying that the chains will fall off today. Let's see what will happen. Go to the website. You'll find out more about us, our guest. You can hear past programs and a whole lot more at chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks to our team assembled. Courtney is in for Ryan today. Tricia is our producer. Gabby D will be answering your calls. It's the last day of October, uh, October, Reformation Day. And it's also the last day that we're offering the Clutter Clobbering Resource from Dana White. Organizing for the rest of us, there has been a a flurry of activity over the last couple of days. And thinking about our topic today, part of the wound of your childhood might be that one or both parents never clobbered clutter. It was just always there, and you haven't been able to do it either. I grew up in a cluttered home, and I didn't realize it. And the things that Dana has been teaching me are life-changing. She can help because she has been there. Call 866-953-2279. When the person answers, you say, I want to clobber clutter, and I want to give a gift to Chris Fabry Live of any size, we'll send you, organizing for the rest of us, 100 realistic strategies to keep any house under control. 866-95-FABRY. Have I said it's the last day? Yeah. Or go online. It's easy if you go online, chrisfabrylive.org. Last name's five letters, F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabrylive.org. I'd love to send you a copy, but today's the last day. I don't think I've said that yet. <laughs> go to chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks for being a back fence friend. I hope you clobber clutter. Take a picture before and after. Dr. Ike Miller leads Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, which is a church he planted in 2018, along with his wife, Sharon. He has written about the intersection of theology, mental health, and family after confronting the impact of his own childhood on his life. That led him to develop a passion for helping others who grew up in difficult circumstances to understand how those environments continue to impact them and their relationships right here, right now, today. Our featured resource is his book, and I said yes to this just looking at the title, Good Baggage. We're going to talk about it today. Ike, welcome. How are you doing? Chris, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm doing really well. It's a, it's a little bit of a rainy day here in North Carolina, but uh, but we're still making the most of it. <laughs> yeah. It's rain and snow. We got wind where I am in Arizona. Oh, so 
Let's, uh, yeah. let's, 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 it's a good day to be inside. So let's talk about it. Right. Did you know when you were a child, did you know that you were in a dysfunctional family? Mm. You know, I knew that it wasn't a, what we would call, quote, a normal family. Uh, you know, I went to bed a lot of nights with my parents arguing and fighting. And when I went to my friends' houses, I didn't see that. And so I knew it wasn't what you might call a normal family, but didn't really know kind of the idea of a dysfunctional family or the long-term impacts of it. So, yeah, uh, I think I knew it wasn't normal, but didn't know it was dysfunctional. <laughs> what was the dysfunction? So my father struggled with something that we would call now clinically an alcohol use disorder or alcoholism. And uh, that led to all kinds of dysfunction in our family more broadly than my parents' divorce. Uh, they were separated for much of my childhood and then divorced when I was in high school. Uh, and obviously that drove wedges between me and my siblings, uh, just in terms of, you know, being forced to take sides in the family and all of that kind of stuff. And so that was kind of the general environment that I grew up in. Did you, and let me jump forward, did you yeah. then become a pastor with the thought that um, I want to, I want to redeem, uh, not redeem, I want to help other people who have gone through the same kind of thing that I've gone through and figure yeah. out their life like I've tried to figure out my life and be good with God? Was any a part, that a part of it? Yeah, you know, probably in middle school is when I really started to wrestle with that question of kind of why did what I go through happened to me. Uh, but I think partly because I had a wonderful youth pastor and a great church family helped me to think through, you know, I may never know why these things happened uh, or why God allowed them to happen or all of those kinds of questions. But what I can do is ask you know, how can God use these things? And from a very early age, began to accept that, you know, no one could speak to someone's experience going through their parents' divorce or a parent with alcoholism like someone who had been through that themselves. And so I embraced that early on. And uh, I think I discerned a call to ministry probably in high school as I thought through wanting to be a part of a movement among in students in particular, I felt an early call to, to youth ministry or student ministry. And I think there was a part of that, that I wanted to see uh, God heal others my age who are walking through similar kinds of things. But that can be a double-edged sword. And I'll, yes. I'll go here already <laughs> because I sense that you've, you've done some really hard work. And, and, yeah. and what I'll say is that the folks that we've had on here, the wound becomes the place where, you know, the, the need of the world meets with your life. And, and a lot of the purpose comes out of that. I believe that wholeheartedly. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of people go through a lot of pain and immediately they look at, okay, well, what is God doing here? And they go to the resurrection before they've ever gone to Gethsemane and they've never lamented and had the hard, you know, wrestling uh, with it. So to jump to the, oh, well, God did some did in my life because of this and I'm going to do this with it. You can go too quickly with that, Right. And I think I don't hear. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm back. I don't know what happened yeah. there. I'm sorry, no, Chris. I don't either. That's all right. I, that happens to me all the time, Mike. So, <laughs> so uh, did you hear the question? Do you, I you did can, not. Yeah, let's go okay. through that again. So a lot of people can go too quickly to the, why God did this? My God did this in my life back mm. here, this bad thing. And I'm going to jump to what he's going to do now. That can yeah. be, uh, you can go too fast mm. that way, right? Yeah, you absolutely can. And I think we do it unaware that it's happening, meaning we 
aren't aware that we went through something where we found our identity in fixing things or uh, making things okay. You know, I grew up in a context where I felt this burden to make everything okay, to fix my mom's emotions or to fix my dad's emotions. And that can become a part of our identity. And so fast forward, you know, a few years and here I am feeling called to ministry. And yet so much of my ministry is driven by, well, this is just who I am as I fix people's emotions, never realizing that that actually is being uh, done in, uh, in an unhealthy way because I've tied it to my identity instead of my identity being in Christ. And so that's where we can end up in trouble. And, and that's kind of where I hit the wall was realizing, okay, here I am in a situation, uh, particularly COVID, where I'm trying to manage everybody's emotions. And obviously that's not something you can do. <laughs> uh, and so when I was failing at that, that was my identity. And that led to all kinds of pain in my life. Yeah. And another part of that is control. If you, because if you're a fixer and you can figure out how to do one thing and it works, mm. then that becomes tied in with your identity too, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then you're just like, well, this is, this is who I am. And again, that works until it doesn't. And then when it doesn't, you are devastated. Yes. <laughs> works until it doesn't. That's, that's the story of my life <laughs> and, and a lot of the cars that I've owned. Okay. So here's what we're going to do, friend. If you go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org you're going to see our featured resource today, Good Baggage. That's all you need, but listen to the subtitle. My guess is somebody's life is going to, it's going to be explained today how your difficult childhood prepared you for healthy relationships. Now, that sounds backward, but if you will do the hard work like Ike is talking about, something good's going to happen. You'll hear more about that. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org, click through today's information. You'll see the link there for good baggage. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Ike, Ike Miller has written Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. It's our featured resource chrisfabrylive.org. I've been looking forward to this conversation because some of the things that Ike talks about in his childhood, my guess is there's somebody listening today is like, you're reading my email. <laughs> exactly. And I've got an anger problem, but I don't know where it's coming from. And I've got a, a struggle with my identity. And why did people's opinion about me, why does that mean so much to me? Those are really good questions. So let's follow that trail. How did you figure out then, Ike, that things weren't, as you were saying, they weren't working? What was it? That, was it in your marriage that it showed up? Yeah, honestly, it actually showed up first in my ministry and in my leadership. And so I don't think this is unique to ministry, but I think leadership more generally. I referenced earlier COVID being a significant time. And to kind of go into that a little bit more, you know, COVID was one of those seasons where if you were in any position of leadership and you were making decisions that affected other people, whether that was around, you know, gathering in person or masks or uh, racial tension in our country, the fact of the matter is, regardless of what decision you made, someone was going to be upset with you. 
And I found myself in conversation after conversation where people disagreed or were upset with me. And I was trying to, you know, say the right thing to convince them or to make them feel better or to heal our relationship and found myself doing that so much that I reached a point of just exhaustion, of emotional exhaustion and took some time off because I just needed to kind of heal, rest, and also just figure out why it was so hard for me to deal with criticism or why it was so hard for me when somebody disagreed with me or someone was upset with me. And in that time, I started looking back at some of the stuff that I already learned about being what we would call an adult child of an alcoholic or someone who grew up in a household with an alcoholic. And one of the things that I learned as I was reading about this was this notion of codependency and how uh, that's a phrase that maybe many of your listeners are familiar with. But typically when we think of codependency, we think of people pleasing or someone who just wants to keep the peace. But really what I learned is that codependency is what we would call a trauma related loss of self. What that means is at some point in our life, we went through something that required us to be someone other than ourselves in order to survive. And so as a result of that, in that process of being who we thought someone else wanted us to be, we never developed or lost our clear sense of who we are. And so people pleasing is essentially us trying to be who we think will make someone else happy with us because we don't have a clear sense of that in ourselves. And as I was reading about this, and uh, one of the things that just jumped out at me as I was reading it is they said, in codependency, you try to manage other people's emotions and reactions with your words and actions. And it just stopped me dead in my tracks. I was just like, that's exactly what I've been doing. And so acknowledging I've become codependent with my whole church. (laughs) And that was a real wake up moment for me. Yeah, because I, I saw another interview that you did, and you said that you you started having this inner tension, this feeling of, of being scared on speaking on Sunday mornings, mm, mm. and is and that part of that is that tension of oh, I don't want to say the right wrong thing to them, you know, make people mad at me, mm-hmm. but another part of it, well, there was more to that, right? Yeah. So the other part of that was simply I found my value in being a good preacher and a good pastor. And I would go into it with a lot of anxiety then because it felt like every Sunday my identity is riding on how this sermon goes. And you just think about that. And maybe maybe for you, it's something else. You know, Maybe it's how you lead a meeting or how you run a program or run an event. But when you carry that much into every time, time you do that thing that your identity depends on, it makes it quite an anxious thing. <laughs> you know what it was for me? Oh, this is one area of that I experienced. My wife and I have nine children. So okay. that's, you know, it's a bus ministry. Just That's a full house. Church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I always, I love the fact that our kids, when we would go to restaurants, for example, uh, people with servers or people would say, or next table over, you have the most obedient children. <laughs> you had the, and, and at church, people would say, your kids are so well behaved. Yeah. And that started getting me feeling like, you know, Hey, I'm a good dad because they're not crying in the middle of the floor. Like they are usually. <laughs> That's <know>? right. <laughs> and, and what you can do is exactly what you talked about. I can fix this. I can manipulate them. I can control them by 
you know, holding something, oh, you're not going to get this if you do that or, you know, and so that you, and, and, and you almost play chess with your kids to make them obedient. You, you move three steps down because you anticipate what's going to happen over here. And then what eventually happens with kids is you realize you don't have any control. That's right. Especially when they get to be teenagers. But yeah. that was a really hard thing for me to, especially when the kids were little, because it was easy. I mean, it was just, you, you, could, you could say, you're not going to get dessert if you do that. And yeah. so you, and, and that's not obedience that's just threat and and res- mm-hmm. and uh, you know primal res- <laughs> response yeah. to eating, yeah. right? That's right. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing that I had to kind of get my head around was with my kids as well. You know, I wanted to desperately be a different kind of father than I had, and yet I would find myself at times where I was just so frustrated with my kids, either because I felt like other parents are watching me, and I'm a pastor, and so my kids have to be well-behaved, or just the pressure you feel as a parent to be a good parent, but I was doing things in the moment to force them to conform, but in doing that, I was reenacting a lot of the same things my father did of using, you know, volume and force to kind of get my way, which ultimately was undermining our relationship. And so again, you end up trying to achieve something to maintain an image, but ultimately it's costing you relationally. What did this do with Sharon in your marriage? Mm. You know, I think for Sharon, it first just, it opened, it unlocked something in the sense that all of a sudden things that did not make sense began to make sense. Uh, you know, I was someone who found myself at times to be very defensive. You know, if Sharon came to me with something and and I felt like, man, she's, she's trying to blame me, I would very reactively get defensive. And after kind of doing some of this work and looking deeper into it, began to realize, you know, I think some of this is rooted in the fact that as a child, whenever there was consequences, they were harsh and they were sometimes abusive. And so I just carried this knee-jerk defensiveness now because I don't want to suffer the consequences. Even if I am guilty, I don't want to suffer the consequences. (laughs) And so it unlocked our understanding of why did I do some of the things? Why did I interact in our marriage in some of the ways that I did? Uh, and how do we disarm that so it doesn't continue to affect our relationship? Okay, give me go a little go a layer deeper. Give me an yeah. example. What's what's one thing that happened in your response mm-hmm. to your wife that you saw? Yeah, you know, one story that I'll share is uh, we were up in, or I was up in the Chicago area. Um, visiting some friends a few years ago. And one of the decisions I had made at this point was to no longer consume alcohol. Just given my family history, uh, my own history, we just felt like it wasn't a wise thing to do. But in Chicago, I was there and it was, you know, an area where I had favorite restaurants and favorite breweries and all this stuff. And so I was at this restaurant and I got something to drink. And later that night, I'm talking to Sharon on the phone and she asks if I got anything to drink. And my response, knee jerk, just instant response was no. And as soon as I said it, I thought, why did I just lie? Mm. Like, what was it in me that just felt this need to lie? And, and this is one of the things that I talk about in the book is how deception becomes a defense mechanism. It, it's a tool for self-protection. And in that moment, I knew if I tell her the truth, 
I'm going to be in trouble. And so my instinct was to self-protect and to lie. And so I had to own that and acknowledge in that moment, hey, this is what's going on here. I I did lie about this because I was afraid of the consequences. Um, and so it did lead to some really hard conversations in us of like, are there other times where I've been deceptive that she didn't know about? And what does that mean? And, and led to, you know, us having to rebuild some levels of trust in our relationship because up until that point, she didn't know were there times where I was deceptive that I didn't ultimately tell her. You eventually, the two of you went to counseling and there's Mm -hmm. probably some, especially guys, I think women, I don't know why this is, but women are a little more uh, Mm -hmm. okay with going to counseling. It's like they, they're okay with not having an all together and they can do that. I, I don't, that was the same in my marriage. Um, but guys are very resistant. To, a lot of men are very resistant to counseling for whatever yeah. reason. So what pushed you over the edge to say, yeah, let's do this? Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I touch on as kind of the piece of, quote, good baggage that's underneath everything else, which is it honestly wasn't even this event that drove me to to being open to counseling. Uh, I actually had decided or we had decided in the first year of our marriage that we wanted to uh, have a counselor that we met with regularly on a monthly basis um, because I had seen where my parents' marriage had gone and I didn't want our marriage to go there. And so we started meeting with a counselor early in our relationship. And and that's some of the good baggage, which is for those of us who maybe saw our parents divorced or saw a lot of dysfunction, you know, there is the pride that maybe prevents us from considering counseling or, you know, seeking out someone's wisdom or advice. But then what I had counterbalancing that is, well, I know the consequences of not seeking out that counsel. And so at the end of the day, which is more important to me, my pride or my marriage? And and I had to say, you know, at the end of the day, I want a healthy, thriving marriage, no matter the cost. And so for me, that was some of the good baggages. I'd seen where relationships go when we're too proud to seek out help. And I didn't want that to be my story. <laughs> so what do you say to the, the young couples and people are getting married later and later now? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why they don't want to get married is they won't, don't want to replicate what happened, you know, in their own family. And so they're yeah. either putting it off or saying marriage is not for me. What do you say yeah. to that person? Yeah, you're exactly right. That is certainly a trend is, you know, I don't want to go through that same pain. So I'm just not even going to get married. And, you know, I was talking with a friend recently who uh, recently had a baby and it was a similar kind of thing where he was like, you know, I've been so afraid of having kids because I was afraid that I was going to replicate the same things that my father did. And so it just seemed safer not to have kids. And what I said to him in that moment is I said, you know, the fact of the matter is nobody will be a perfect parent, just like nobody's going to be a perfect spouse. But the fact that you're even concerned about that, the fact that that's even something you're thinking about puts you light years ahead of where maybe your father was, who wasn't even aware of the fact that maybe he wasn't being the best father or doing the best things. And so I tell couples or people all the time, the fact that you're even concerned about it is actually a good step in the direction of, okay, I want to do this differently. I don't have to avoid this altogether, but I can be intentional about doing it differently. And the fact that I've been through what I've been through will remove that pride from seeking the help that I honestly will need at some point in my relationship. 
the way I, the, the metaphor I have of that is, or the correlation is that the people who will call will say they're worried that they've committed the unpardonable sin. And, <laughs> and the answer is, if you're, if you're worried about that, you haven't committed. <laughs> you That's know, true. <laughs> yeah, it's not on your radar. If you're, if, you're, if the spirit is working on the inside of you so that much. Yes. Um, and so what you're saying is really good. I need to take a break here in a minute, but I want you to unpack what you mean by good baggage, because there's somebody listening who will say, well, what you're saying is that all the bad stuff that happened to me in my life back there was not really bad. It was really good. What a blessing that abuse was in my life. That's not good baggage, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. That is not at all what I'm talking about. (laughs) Okay. What is good baggage? Yeah. So when we talk about baggage and we talk about relational baggage, oftentimes what we're talking about are coping mechanisms that we developed in one relationship, maybe a family of origin with some dysfunction, or it could be a relationship we had as an adult, maybe a, a bad dating relationship, but we form certain coping mechanisms or relational patterns in those dysfunctional relationships. And then we've carried them into other relationships that did not need them. And once we're in those relationships, if it's a healthy relationship, that baggage actually begins to hurt the relationship. So that's how we think of baggage usually. What I'm saying with good baggage is that, yes, at some point, that coping mechanism served a purpose in a relationship. And so in some way, it worked for our good. It worked to protect us. It worked to uh, to help us feel safe and secure in a relationship where we couldn't feel safe and secure. And though those things do affect our relationships negatively now, there is still something good in them if we can learn how to leverage the good and disarm the bad. And so that's what I do throughout this book is I name several areas in which th- something was a coping mechanism for bad, but how do we leverage the good in it? Bingo. Okay. Good baggage, how your difficult childhood prepared you for healthy relationships. If you're a guy and you say, I don't want to feel anything, I want you to stay with us because this might be a breakthrough. The chains might come off today. This is Chris Fabry Live. You can find us at chrisfabrylive.org. I wonder if anybody's listening to our conversation about the baggage we carry from the past and the topic of abortion is there and you wish you'd had someone in your life who would have told you that there was a different answer to your unplanned pregnancy. I've been talking this month about CareNet's Pregnancy Decision Line. Their vision is to help create a culture where women and men faced with pregnancy decisions are transformed by the gospel and empowered to choose life for their unborn children and abundant life for their families. I think that's a really great goal, powerful in today's culture. And one way they do that is their National Pregnancy Decision Line. There are counselors and coaches ready right now to give immediate life-affirming counsel and pregnancy center referrals to the women and the men who are considering abortion. If you go to that website, chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button, especially if you've never heard of them before. What they're doing is so encouraged in a world where life is devalued. CareNet's giving help and hope one life at a time. 
Click CareNet when you go to chrisfabrylive.org. Ike Miller is joining us. Good baggage is our topic. Let me just throw that to you, Ike, for something like that, a bad decision that you've made in the past that just hangs over you. And you've, you know, you've prayed to God, you've asked for forgiveness, but it just keeps coming up, this mistake in the past. Mm. What do you say about that? Yeah, you know, I think about uh, also maybe parents who uh, are able to look back and see maybe the dysfunction that they caused and their own children are having to walk out the impact of that in environment. And one of the things that I try to communicate is the importance in understanding the di- distinction between conviction and condemnation. I think it's important for us in our journeys to experience conviction over our sin and to to feel the spirit's conviction in our hearts over our sin but to know that for those who are in Christ Jesus there is no longer condemnation and so if we continue years after something where we've experienced the conviction we've confessed it to God but we still continue to feel this condemnation that that is not from God that is of the evil one using the shame that maybe we carry the guilt that we carry to continue to beat us up and to pummel us and so to be able to name that distinction and say you know I have acknowledged I've confessed and I have been made right with God again uh, that's so important in order for us to be free so you tell yourself the truth about who God says you are rather than what you feel or what mm. you the, the enemy whispers to you, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the upshot of this then, what is what does healing look like or what is wholeness or what does redemption look like mm. for those childhood struggles? The, the first thing, it sounds like the first thing is that you're able to see it for what, yeah. how it's affecting you. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you've touched on and and we've talked about a little bit is this idea of not needing counseling or not acknowledging, you know, that we've got stuff from our past to deal with. And a part of the the problem with that is, especially as men, we are, you know, reticent to talk about our emotions. We even claim at times that we are not emotional, uh, but just look at a man on the golf course and you will see a man who gets emotional, right? <laughs> Like for men, unfortunately, because we don't have a wide breadth of, you know, emotional responses, most of our emotions come out as anger. Our sadness comes out as anger. Our anger comes out as anger. And so I think for men in particular, but for all of us is, is it's beginning to acknowledge the emotions that we are expressing that we don't want to be expressing. Uh, and I don't mean that we shouldn't express emotion, but the ones that we're expressing in ways that actually exacerbate harm in our relationships, we find ourselves angry in our marriages over and over again for the same things. We find ourselves angry at our children over and over again, and it feels like there's just zero control over that. That's a good place to start to begin to ask what's going on a few layers down, because ultimately these things are rooted in things below the surface that we've got to get to the root of before we can really experience healing. Yeah. I think for men, and I, I've, I've done a lot of thinking, and I've done a lot of going <laughs> to baseball games thinking about this, because the the only place that it felt like it was okay to express emotion was during sports, sporting yeah. events. And the real connection that I even had with my dad, who was not an expressive person, I mean, he would, he, he, he'd give you a hug and he'd tell you he, he loved you, absolutely. But it was the 
the back and forth, the throwing the ball in the front yard, listening to baseball games and getting excited. And somebody, you know, Joe Morgan hits a home run or steals a base. And it's like, yeah, this is great. And you could show emotion. You could show expression. But other than that, you got to stay in control. You don't, you don't do that. And for a lot of men, that is the only place that they've had where you can, you can just be yourself. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And and again, it goes back to, you know, the emotions that are acceptable are the emotions that show our strength. Uh, it, it's not okay to show the emotions that demonstrate any kind of weakness. And so anger is okay. Sadness is not right. Right. But I said about you that you've written about the intersection of theology, mental health, and family. Mm-hmm. So how does theology fit in here? Because I hear, you know, codependency, you, you can talk about that. Counseling, you can talk about it. I see the psychological. What about yeah. theology? Yeah, so there are several key places that theology plays into this, but one of them that I'll mention is in our notion of sin, for example. Uh, when we think of the notion of sin in, in many contexts, what comes to mind is acts of, of disobedience, of, of rebellion against God. And one of the things that I make the case for in the book is that we need to have a broader definition of what sin is, and a definition that's more in line with a biblical definition of sin. Uh, the word that we use for sin, uh, the, the original Greek word was the word that was used in archery to refer to the distance between a target and where the arrow lands. So to miss the mark is to sin. Um, and there's ways that we do that that go beyond just our acts of disobedience. There are um, ways that we miss the mark because of our own brokenness. And so it's not necessarily that we are rebelling against God. It could be because we are broken in some way. And for those of us who experience difficult childhoods, we carry uh, things that happen to us that cause us to act out in relationships in ways that are not healthy, that are missing the mark for who God desired us to be as human beings. And so what I'm trying to say in saying that is that not all sin needs punishing. There's also sin that needs healing. And I think when we begin to think through it in that way, we also begin to see the work of Christ in a more dynamic way. That Christ, yes, he died to pay for the consequences of our sin, but he's also the great physician who came to heal us of our sin. And when we look at the New Testament, you know, one of the things that's so fascinating about the Greek language that we can't see in our English language is that the word for saving someone is the same word that Jesus often used for healing someone. And so a part of us understanding our salvation. And I think we just lost Ike. This has been happening uh, a couple of different times and you haven't noticed it. But uh, right in the middle of that sentence. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Ike, are, are you back with us now? Okay. Good baggage. How your difficult childhood prepared you for healthy relationships. I, I'm here, Ike, and I know, I know what just happened. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you were right in the middle of that great thought. Um, and, and so I'm going to let you finish it if you want to do that. But let me give it the website. ChrisFabryLive.org is the website. You'll find out more about Good Baggage 
at chrisfabrylive.org. All right, finish up that sentence. Yeah, I don't know where I lost you, and uh, I'm really sorry about that. Um, But what I was getting at was this idea that when we think about the salvation that we have in Christ, that it was both he came to die to pay the cost for our sins, but he also came as the great physician to heal us of our sin. And so when we think about salvation in the New Testament, I think it's important for us to know that with the Greek, uh, you know, we don't have this in the English, but in the Greek, the word that was used to talk about saving someone was often the same word that Jesus used when he talked about healing someone. And so our salvation, yes, it's about the obstacles to us being reconciled with God, being removed, that punishment being paid for, but it's also about our healing. And we even have that in that word salvation. There's a salve, a a healing ointment. Jesus is our healing Mm. ointment for our sin. I like that, and I also like the fact that God's goal for us is maturity, that he, mm. that he really wants us, you know, that's what discipleship is all about, to take you from infants to those who need the meat, you know, of the mm. word. Mm. And what you're talking about here is part of that process. But let me ask you a hard question. Yeah. Um, I don't, I I don't think I've heard you talk about this. What happened with your dad? I know that your mom and dad were divorced when you were about in high school and he struggled with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Was that, and and people will say, well, his, you know, if, if he's all healed, you know, if he's healed his relationships, then he had a great relationship with his dad after that. Mm -hmm. What, what happened? So my father continued to struggle with alcoholism, and uh, my father had also developed prostate cancer when I was in middle school, and uh, I think as I went off to college, he continued to struggle with alcoholism, but he also self-medicated. I think he had had some pain from the surgery that he had, and uh, so was self-medicating with uh, alcohol, and so ultimately he ended up dying due to alcohol-related causes, and our relationship, you know, when I was in college, I felt like I needed to make my best effort to reconcile our relationship, to have a relationship regardless of what his relationship with my mom was. And so I reached out and just kind of shared in a letter, you know, my understanding of uh, his struggles, of my parents' marriage, all of those kinds of things. And uh, his response to that was not very satisfying in the sense that it was you know, there's two sides to every story kind of thing. But I, at very least, it was an opportunity for me to express myself, not just as uh, a son, but as a, as a adult and uh, to do my best to reconcile that relationship in any way possible. And so we still had a relationship after that. It was never kind of the deep father-son relationship you might want, but uh, that was kind of where things ended. And he passed away uh, when I was 23, 22. 22. And how long ago was that? So that was uh, 16 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Now we know. (laughs) I can do math. Now we know. (laughs) So, so is there forgiveness then, or what does forgiveness look like for you, for a dad who really struggled like that? I'll ask you that. We'll, We'll come back. This is really good. I don't know if you're picking up the heart of Ike Miller's book, Good Baggage, but there's something here, and my guess is somebody's identifying with it today. We'll, you'll find a link at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org.
One more time, today's the last day that we're offering Dana K. White's Organizing for the Rest of Us. Linda in Vermont, we're sending you one. Nancy in Tampa, we're sending you a copy. And Julie and Kristen and Edith, they've all gotten through today. Oh, we're so close to our goal. We have nine more. Uh, uh, so call today, 866-95-FABRY. We're going to send you a copy of Organizing for the Rest of Us, Clobber Clutter, Take a Picture, Before and After, and uh, say a little note. Nancy said that she listens to the program on the radio or on the app or listens to the podcast later. So, Nancy, thanks for your support. Give a gift of any size, and we'll send that to you. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org, where you will find good baggage how your difficult childhood prepared you for healthy relationships. The question that is in front of us is forgiveness. I think a lot of people think that forgiveness means there is reconciliation between the one party and the other. And for you with a dad who's passed away, you can't have that two-way reconciliation. You didn't have it when he was alive, it sounds like. So what, what does forgiveness look like? Yeah, I think I think there's this sense that it means that everything's reconciled or we just have to pretend like it never happened. If I really forgive you, I have to pretend like it never happened. And one of the things that I learned as I was kind of processing this years ago, I read a book called Forgiveness, uh, and it was uh, a story of a woman who had experienced uh, incest as a child and talking through what does forgiveness mean and uh, from a theological perspective, from a Christian perspective. And the thing that she communicated that I thought was just so powerful is that forgiveness is not pretending like it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that I just trust you completely all of a sudden again. Um, what forgiveness is, is forgiveness is choosing to no longer allow your actions to determine how I interact with you. And what I mean by that is when Jesus died on the cross uh, for our sins, uh, it wasn't like he just pretended like our sins never happened. You know, when he forgave us, it's not like he pretended, but he no longer interacted with us on the basis of our guilt for those things. And so what that meant was as a child of the environment that I grew up in, I did not need to necessarily uh, trust my dad all over again or pretend like none of that happened, but I could choose to say, I recognize that what you did was an amalgamation of your own childhood experience, of things that you went through, of your own pain, and I'm no longer going to interact with you on the basis of what you did. That doesn't mean that I just don't have any boundaries with you. It doesn't mean I don't have any uh, um, safety kind of measures in place, uh, but I'm just not going to allow that to affect how I, you know, deal with my internal world anymore. Does that, is that helpful? Is that clarifying? Yeah, it's, it's really good because it's, it's letting, it's no longer letting the poison that they've given, you no longer drinking yeah. the poison they've given to you. It is right. like, I'm going to refuse to let, to hold this thing that you've done over me. There yeah. are consequences, of course, you know, to every, yeah. every action, but I'm not going to hold that over you. So yeah. I forgive you. Um, that makes an awful lot of sense. But the other thing that you said there was what a lot of people do with the hurt of the past well, my hurt is not as bad as other people's, you know, and I had a, dis you know, my mom, my dad yelled at me, but it's not as bad as the, the childhood yeah. sexual abuse or physical abuse. And what they do is unwittingly um, forego the healing that God wants in their life when they can see what actually did happen. That's an important part of this equation, isn't it? 
It definitely is. And I think it's important to be clear that the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation is forgiveness can be something that happens just on your side, but reconciliation requires both parties. And so there can be forgiveness without that full reconciliation. But what you're just named is something I did exactly. I've probably only acknowledged that I experienced any abuse within the last three or four years. And that's because when I thought of abuse, I thought of the awful stories of kids going to school with bruises and those kinds of things, which didn't happen. And yet when I told people some of the things that happened, they could not believe that those things happened, you know, that my father at times had kicked me and they thought that is not acceptable. That is abuse, you know? Um, and so just because it wasn't the most extreme doesn't mean it hasn't impacted us in some way. So is that talk to the person who's listening who says, okay, I get everything that you're saying. And I do see how the baggage of the past is leaking through into my life and my relationships. And I don't want it to, is there hope for me? Say it one more time. I'm sorry. Is there, is there hope for me if I am seeing this leak into my life? Yeah. You know, that's a big part of why I wrote this book is I, I think for many of us, we just reach a point where maybe we've seen some unhealthy patterns in our relationships that we tie back to our childhood relationships or our family of origin. And we just kind of just live in this place of, well, I guess I'm just supposed to have bad relationships. It's just what I'm destined to have. And a big part of this book is, is me communicating that just because we had bad relationships in our childhood does not predestine us to have bad relationships ourselves. And, and to go beyond just how do we survive that, but how do we actually use that to help our relationships thrive? That's what I wanted to do is, is communicate that hope for people. Yeah. You've done it well. Ike, it's been a really great conversation, and and I I haven't let other people in on it because I've got so many <laughs> got so many <laughs> questions myself. But I think the 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 hope here is not just you know you can you can and you have a lot of good psychological handles in here and things that you've learned and counseling and all for it. But there's something that can happen on the inside of a person when God grabs a hold of them when the light comes on. And you, and you shore up that relationship and your identity with him. When that happens, then you can come back to who you really are rather than, as you were saying earlier, who others think you ought to be and trying to live into that. So it's a great message. It's, it's a, a confident resource, and I'm confident to uh, recommend it to other people who are listening today. God bless you, friend. Thank you for sharing your heart, your life. Tell Sharon we said hello, okay? I will. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. There he is, Dr. Ike. Dr. Ike Miller, Good Baggage, How Your Difficult Childhood Prepared You for Healthy Relationships. It's our featured resource. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Now, again, have I said today's the last day? <laughs> I think I have. Today's the last day for our featured resource of, of gift of organizing for the rest of us. Get in touch with us, however you can do it. Uh, courier, carrier pigeon, courier and knives. You can go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org. And don't you dare miss tomorrow. Colleen Chow, we, we've talked with her in the past. She has incurable cancer and she's got a new book. And I love what she's doing, what God is doing in her life and through her life. And we'll talk about it right here at the Radio Backyard Fence 
otherwise known as Chris Fabry Live, which is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute, online, chrisfabrylive.org.